Uh, We'll be starting in chapter 3, verse 15. So that's Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 15, page 1029. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Please uh, keep that passage open. Uh, Before we come to God's word, uh, why don't I pray? Heavenly Father, as we uh, come to your word this evening, uh, we humbly ask that you would prepare our hearts and minds to hear you speak to us. Uh, Would you help us to listen? Would you help me to speak clearly? Would you prepare our hearts to be receptive to the transforming work of your Holy Spirit? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. See, telling people that they're sinful can be tricky. Telling people that uh, they need to change can be tricky. Why? Because change is hard. You see, in Luke's Gospel, John's message is all about preparing the way for Jesus. John is telling people that they're sinful. Uh, They need to repent. Uh, They need to change in their hearts. We can't meet a holy God as we are. So why should we listen to what John has to say to us? If you type into to Google quotes about change, uh, here are some quotes you might find. I, I picked out five. The first one, change won't come if we wait for some other person or if we wait for some other time. We're the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. How about this one? Education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. That's steep, isn't it? Or this third one, be the change that you wish to see in the world. That's lovely, isn't it? And how about this one? Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. That's deep. And my last, the last one, and my favourite one, was this one. Uh, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself. 
some deep truths there. I guess you can see the logic in some of these quotes. Yet none of them truly seem to satisfy us or bring about the change we want to see. Because we all want to change, don't we? We long for change. Whether it's in ourselves, in others, or in the world around us, we, we recognise that we're not perfect. And neither is the world around us. And frankly, we long to be better people and to live in a better world. And particularly as Christians, we, we long to grow in godliness. We long to be holy. But we find it a struggle. Uh, the, the change we, see, we seek, it seems so tantalizingly elusive from us. Where can we find this change that we need? Maybe we can find it in a, in a good book. Uh, read a, a good book on philosophy. Maybe read a good book on the economy. Or, or read a good book about how to be a, a better person. Or maybe listen to a, an interesting, inspirational TED Talk online. And maybe that's where you'll find change. Maybe it might just be listening to a good sermon. Maybe it's religion. Where can we find the change that we all desire? You might even begin to question, is change even possible? The sinful tongue that has robbed you of relationships, that you just can't seem to get under control. When am I ever going to change? Why listen to John's passage tonight? Well, in tonight's passage... John the Baptist, he offers us hope of genuine change. And he does that by pointing to the one who can truly change us. He does that by pointing to Jesus. True change can be found in Jesus Christ. Not only will Jesus bring change to our hearts, but one day he will bring a change to our world through his judgment. As we spend time in tonight's passage, we see that John's message is good news because he points us to the one who can really change us where it matters. Because of Jesus, it is possible to be godly. It is possible to enter the presence of a holy God. As Christians, we can rejoice as we recognize the power of Jesus to bring about true change in our hearts. And he does this through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We can rejoice at the change he'll bring to our world one day through his judgment. Why listen to John? Well, listen to him because he's preaching good news to us. And so our first point, recognize and rejoice at the power of Jesus. Look at verse 15 with me again. Uh, The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. Uh, John answered them all, I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You see, John has been preaching a baptism of repentance and he's starting to gather a big crowd and a decent following. He's also been giving them a bit of a hard time. He's called them brood of vipers. He's warned them about the judgment to come. 
And now they're starting to wonder, is John the Messiah? Is he the one we've been waiting for? Is he the real deal? You can sense their their anticipation, their eagerness. See, John's got a very bold message to declare. They're expecting great things from him. Can he bring about the change they're looking for? Can he deliver? Now look at what John says to the crowd in verse 16. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Gosh, it's, it's incredibly humble of John, isn't it, to describe it this way. As great as John is, he can only baptize with water. He's not powerful enough to bring the baptism that the people need. You see, we need to be washed clean in our hearts. And yet all John can do is wash with water. So firstly, an important point to recognize is that we need cleansing. I wonder if I started off the sermon by declaring to you all that you're all dirty. You smell, you look filthy, and frankly, you need a a good scrubbing down, you need a wash. It'll be bold, and probably rude of me to do so. But of course, you all look lovely this evening, and very well presented. (laughs) And yet, the the bold and basic message of John in Luke chapter 3 this evening is that we're all dirty, and we need a wash. Because the wash, the cleansing that John's talking about, isn't that of our outer appearance, is it? Rather, John's talking about an inner cleansing, a spiritual renewal. I want you to imagine if you received a letter from Buckingham Palace that the Queen was making a visit to your street, and in particular, she wanted to come and have afternoon tea at your house. Now, out of all the thoughts that might be rushing through your head, I imagine panic would be up there. I imagine a a pretty important thought would be, am I ready? Are we ready as a family? The house needs to be spotless. The the, the fine bone china needs to be spring clean when the queen comes. Only the best for the queen. I imagine you wouldn't want the queen to come to a, a dirty, filthy, smelly house, would you? You'd want to prepare to meet the queen appropriately. And let's say that a royal butler came a few days beforehand and, and told you, this is how you need to clean to, to prepare for the queen. This is what you need to do. You'd probably thank them and say, oh, that's good advice. It would be odd if you, if you ignore their advice. And actually, it'd be more strange if all you did to get ready for the queen's coming was to to mow your grass, the front lawn, sweep the floor outside, and just trim the hedges. You made sure the house looked clean on the outside, but you never ever focused on the inside. It would be odd, wouldn't it? Because the queen wouldn't just be coming to look at your house. She's coming inside for afternoon tea. She's coming inside your home to spend time with you, to see who you really are. John's message is that God's coming and we're all dirty where it matters. We're all sinful in our hearts, morally corrupt. And we can't meet a perfect, we can't meet a holy God like this. We need a good wash 
hence his ministry of baptizing people. John wants us to understand that baptism, being washed, is, a, is an important beginning to Christian life. It's a key part of God's salvation. But first of all, we have to recognize that we're dirty, we're sinful. How often is it that we, we focus on the respectability of our religion, coming to church and serving? They're good things, living a good and upright life, but we never, ever address the issue of our sinful hearts. Even religious duty won't be able to change our hearts or, or make us right with a holy God. So firstly, we need to recognize that we're dirty or sinful where it matters in our hearts. We also need to recognize the limitation of Christian leaders to truly cleanse us. Look at verse 16 again. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John also wants us to see that his baptism of water, well, it's, it's only symbolic in nature. He's not powerful enough to bring about the true baptism that we need, the type of cleansing that we need. See, water only washes the surface. Uh, we need something more powerful to wash us on the inside. We have baptisms here at Christchurch a few times a year. And uh, baptism is a, is a wonderful illustration of the gospel message, that we are washed clean of our sins and raised to new life in Jesus Christ. It's a picture of what God has done for us. You see, that the baptism, however, that takes place at church, excuse me, is only an outward sign of what's happened on the inside. Because that's where the real change takes place, isn't it? When our church leaders, when they conduct a baptism, they can only wash the surface, the outside. As wise and as godly as, as they are, they can't bring about the change we need. They can't make us holy. They can't penetrate into our hearts. We need someone more powerful to do so. John says that person is Jesus, who will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and regenerate our hearts. And so thirdly, we can recognize and rejoice at the power of Jesus to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. You see, if you're a Christian here today, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then know that real change is possible because of Jesus. He has baptized you with the Holy Spirit once and for all, and he has washed away your sins. Jesus makes us holy before God. In verse 16, baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, it refers to the same work. The fire aspect of baptism refers to the ongoing purification and purging by the Holy Spirit. Not only will this baptism wash us clean, it will continue to purify us and purge us, removing the dross, the sinful attitudes. It will refine us into the image of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus brings about true baptism, true holiness. Why? Because he's the Son of God. He's powerful. You see, the good news for us here tonight is that Jesus has come. The one who is powerful has come. 
And he offers this life-transforming baptism to anyone who would accept him as their saviour. And we can stand before a holy God because of Jesus. He offers the real change that we're after. As Christians, we can rejoice because it is now possible to meet God, to be in a relationship with him. Because of Jesus, it is possible to grow in godliness and holiness. You want to change? Look to Jesus. Recognize his power to change you where it really matters. He can baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Not only can we rejoice at this good news, we can rejoice because Jesus will also be in charge of the judgment to come. Our second point. Rejoice at the judgment that Jesus will bring. Look at verse 17 with me again. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Not only is judgment an important reality to come, but Jesus will be in charge of it. He has the power to separate wheat from chaff. He will come with the power to separate good from evil. See, this analogy of of harvesting is pointing to the the judgment to come. See, John would have been talking to an agrarian culture, a society where producing and maintaining crops was their main source of income. The activity of winnowing, in a a basic sense, would have been to to use a winnowing fork to, to toss the harvest that's been threshed into the air. And as you toss it up, you hope that the wind will blow away the lighter chaff and the heavier grain will fall to the ground. There's a need to separate what's useful from what's useless. There will be a need to separate good and evil on the day of judgment. And Jesus will be in charge of it. See, God's judgment, it's necessary. It's inevitable. And he will be in charge and in control of Jesus Do you want to see change in the world one day where there will be no more pain, suffering, evil, corruption, broken families, poverty? Then look forward to the judgment that Jesus will bring. It's part of the good news that one day God will bring perfect justice. That good and evil will be separated forever and Jesus will be the judge. But... The important question is, will you be ready to face God's judgment? Let me put it another way. What side of judgment do you think you'll be on? Because there will be a right side of judgment. Look at verse 17 again. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. Why is wheat stored in the barn? Well, because it's useful. Uh, wheat gives us a lot of the staple foods we have today. Flour, cereal, bread, pasta. It's useful. See, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus, then rejoice, because he will put you on the right side of the judgment to come. Uh, rejoice that you can be useful now. That we can shine the light of Christ into our families, into our places of work into our communities, we can become salt and light in this world.
there will be a right side of judgment. And those trusting in the Lord Jesus will be in his heavenly barn. The reality is there will also be a wrong side of judgment. Look at verse 17 again. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The chaff doesn't really have any use, does it? And once it's been separated from the wheat, it's burnt. John tells us that the chaff will be burnt with unquenchable fire. What side will you be on on the day of judgment? If you don't want to be on the wrong side of judgment, if you don't want to be chaff when Jesus comes with his winnowing fork to judge, then don't ignore this warning. Judgment is an important reality to come, not just for us, but for everyone we know. What side will you be on? If you're a Christian here tonight, then you can rejoice in the good news because Jesus has put you on the right side of his judgment to come. The right attitude is to be joyful at this message that John is preaching. It's good news. Jesus really is joy to the world. Why? Because he can truly baptise us with his Holy Spirit. John's message is also that Jesus is good news to Christians because he has put us on the right side of his judgment. How should we respond to this good news? Well, let me suggest a few ways that we can keep responding. Firstly, come to meet Jesus with an expectation. He always delivers. Jesus has delivered true baptism, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Verse 15 tells us that the people are waiting expectantly. Are we expecting people? Do you come to church expectantly? Do you read your Bible expectantly? With the hope that as you encounter Jesus through his word, that he will be at work in your heart through his Holy Spirit. Do you expect Jesus to bring about the change that you're after? Come expectantly, knowing that Christ has dealt with your sin. Come expectantly, knowing that Jesus will grow you in godliness. But secondly, also come with an expectation that God's word will call you out. It will rebuke you at times. It will shine a light on your sins. Are you humble enough to accept God's rebuke? Be humble and respond rightly to rebuke. Unlike Herod's, look at verse 19. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Uh, You might be thinking, uh, of course not. I don't lock people up in prison for preaching to me or telling me about my sinful behaviour. Yeah, you, you probably don't do that. But let me ask you this, or let me tell you this. Uh, the friend at church who, who lets you know that, actually, uh, the way you've been living recently isn't in line with God's word. You're not living as someone who's been transformed by Jesus. Do we humbly accept their correction and encouragement? Or, or do we lock them away emotionally and avoid future contact with them? You see, rebuke. It can be joyful to some, 
and to others it can be a threat. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Do you hate correction? Do you see rebuke as a threat like Herod? Let us humbly pray and ask God that he would prepare our hearts to be receptive to his guidance, to his rebuke. Don't waste the opportunity a rebuke provides to grow in godliness. Let us humbly pray that every day would be a day that the Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts, chiseling away at our hearts, refining us into the image of Christ. And sometimes that will come in the form of a rebuke. And be humble and respond rightly to it. It's hard, but it's good for you. And thirdly, don't exalt, exalt the messenger. Don't look for change in the, in the wrong place. John, our church leaders, they're just messengers. Don't idolize them. However godly and wise your church leader is, however brilliant they might have insight into the gospel and into life, they can't bring about real change in you. They're limited in their power. You see, only Jesus can baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Let our, our godly and wise church leaders point us to the one who can bring about real change. And finally, if, if you're not a Christian here tonight, if you're still exploring the faith, then let me commend this good news to you. Why should you listen to John? Because he's preaching a message of good news about the one who is powerful enough to truly change you where it really matters and give you new life. Jesus, the one who makes us holy. Why listen to John? Because he's preaching the good news of the one who can put you on the right side of his judgment to come. Why don't we have a moment of silence?